Hello, and welcome to another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Hanley, and joining me on the other line, he was Paige's second phone call. It's John McMahon. <laughs> yeah, it's a really awkward position to be in to receive that phone call, um, especially after talking to Pastor Tim. So that's, you know, it's rough to finish second to, to, to our friend, uh, our, our lovely shepherd, Pastor Tim. Also joining us, though, Danielle... Is she in witness protection? Is she adopted? Is she an alien? Or is she a podcaster? It's Lily Gorin. Yeah! Uh, I'm so glad to be back. And I don't think I'm an alien, but you just (laughs) never know. Because there are space balloons everywhere these days. So who knows? Oh my God. How prescient that this is the episode we're doing the week of uh, the week or the month of space balloons. (laughs) Danielle and I separately identified Are You Adopted? Are You an Alien? is our favorite line from this episode. So obviously it had to make its way into the introduction here. Yeah. Oh Lily, we're God. so thrilled to have you back on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I always like talking about the Americans, and I particularly <laughs> like talking about the Americans with the two of you. Oh, oh, thank uh, you. Amazing. We're honored. We, we like talking about the Americans with you. We do. And this week, friends, we have Americans, Season 3, Episode 10, Stingers, directed by Larissa Kondracki and written by Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg. And Danielle, what's our IMDb summary this week? Oh, it's two sentences. <laughs> so the IMDb summary is, Philip and Elizabeth deploy a plan for the CIA's Mujahideen visitors. Tensions at the Jennings home escalate. That's like... <laughs> understatement of the year. Decade of the 80s. Are we aliens? <laughs> <laughs> so, Lily, you, many, many months ago, called this episode in season three as your appearance. There are obviously many reasons why, but what about this episode kind of makes it stand out to you in Americans lore? Well, it's, it's the episode where, you know, yeah. the secret life of Philip and Elizabeth finally comes to a happy when Paige asks them if they are, in fact, in witness protection. Are they aliens? Um, what Have is wrong with someone? them? Have they ever killed anybody? Um, and, to count. <laughs> and, you know, and how does she fit into all of this? <laughs> and they fit into her life. Um, so her entire reality gets a little bit of a shell shock. Um, yeah. and, and as I said before we started talking, it's kind of like, it happens towards the end of the episode and everything that came before kind of just goes away. Yeah. An interesting kind of like reversal from the episode we had you on last season, Lily, which ends with Philip accosting Pastor Tim at the church um, and maybe going there to kill him, followed by the next time you're on this podcast, an opening of Pastor Tim coming into Philip's workplace, walking into the back room, and then we end up with this major revelation later on in the episode. Yeah, it's just bookending with Pastor Tim, you know, in vulnerable <laughs> situations with Philip. <laughs> I have to say, when Pastor Tim walked into the travel agency, I was like, I don't feel good about this. <laughs> Uh, but I hate Pastor Tim, so that's also that's my own thing. <laughs> He's annoying. He's annoying. Oh my god! Uh, my note about my note about Pastor Tim. Oh my god! Shut up, Pastor Tim. Stop dad explaining. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I mean, we might as well say that. So the line of "You have to treat her more like an adult than a child," and like, what more adult thing can happen than Paige is like brought into this world of yeah. your parents are KGB secret sleeper agents. 
That's pretty well, much. I, so do we maybe want to start with the confrontation? Like, uh, or rather, we're in it, but like, do we want to sort of start with how that comes about, how that unfolds and kind of go from there? So one of the things that I'm thinking about is like the, so obviously we've like kind of been joking around about it and Paige being exasperated and frustrated and, and yelling at her parents. And you sort of see before we get to the confrontation, she's like, the camera lingers on her when she sees Philip pick up the phone and then immediately leave the house, right? Like you sort of see these a couple of moments earlier on in the episode where she is like, focused in on the actions of her parents and we know from before this episode that she has like in the past at least suspected that philip is having an affair like that something else is going on right so she's like she's in this mode of of trying to figure out and sort of get to this point and like john to your point about pastor tim saying oh like you have to treat her like an adult and then like she says to her parents that Pastor Tim has encouraged her to have this this conversation. And so to me, like, there is this interesting link about, like, okay, Paige's, like, adulthood, her baptism, but also her relationship to the church being the very thing that sort of drives her into the middle of this spy world. It's almost like she had a new birth several episodes ago, uh, and she has another new birth in this episode. I couldn't resist. I couldn't or- resist. Or a new death. Or a new death. Yeah. I mean, it's, or I think, both. Because it's, question. you know, dealing with Christ who was, who was died and then born again. Um, oh. And <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Now you'll, you'll hear my general frustrations with it. Not just John. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that if Paige had been sort of, sort of tweaking at things, um, over the sea, over it, particularly this season, that she's yeah. getting more and more kind of like, what is up? And I am so not normal, or my family is so not normal, and um, and she gets very frustrated because she's not an idiot. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because she's learned and internalized the unconscious lessons from her spy parents, right? right? So, like, she understands when things are not as they seem. And and she even, like, kind of runs game on her parents. She sets them up a little yeah. bit to open the to open the confrontation, right? It's, I need to talk to you. I'm not okay. The first question isn't, what are you doing? It's, do you love me? And she knows they're, of course, going to say, yes, yeah. I love you very much. Okay, then tell me what's really going on. I know that something's yeah. wrong. I always thought I was crazy. Look at me. Like, but no, you're the problem. Yeah. And, like, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting, one, that she's like, I recognize you for gaslighting me, right? Like, I, and I watch you do it all the time, and I'm aware that this is happening. I don't know why or what it is, but I know that something is happening. And so, like, that's fascinating. The other piece of this that I found really fascinating, and it made sense within, like, the context of the sort of disagreements over what to do about Paige, is that... Elizabeth looks to Philip sort of in this, in the moment, uh, like where they're sort of, they have this sort of silent exchange over like, are they going to tell her? Are they going to actually answer this question? And Philip gives a nod 
And, and then, and then like the way that they tell her, like, we were born in another country, like we, that they don't just come out and say like, we are spies. And there was something incredibly fascinating about that sort of like unfolding to me. So I'm interested to hear like what you both thought of that. Yeah, I mean, and in rewatching it, I was paying particular attention to how that conversation bounced between the two of them because it got to the point where Elizabeth couldn't say it. Yes, yeah. She she kind of froze, and Paige was getting frustrated, and Philip had to sort of step in and and sort of give some of the details. Now, no, they didn't come out and say, "Hey, we're KGB spies." Yeah, (laughs) Um, but they did sort of piece out again. They sort of very gently gave out these pieces of information about themselves, and I wonder how much they had been coached at. Uh, you know, by yeah. the center, by Gabriel, um, you know, if you have to answer this question from Paige, this is what, this is how you should explain it. Um, obviously, again, it, it totally upends Paige's world, but they're yeah. trying to do it in a way that is more gentle. Yeah. And like, I, I think that, I fully agree with that. And I think the other thing that I was thinking about is that they are meeting her like claim to understand and to know and to be smart. They're like meeting that claim with respect. And and like, so yes, like functionally, they're not going to come out and say, Hey, we're spies. Like, but also they're giving her the pieces to put together for herself and they are confident that she will put them together, which is also an incredibly scary thing for them. Yeah. Which is both a, the gentle tact to take and yeah. the one that if you were super spies, you would do because it's strategic in order to do so to get this person on your side. And so obviously that's that particular dynamic of what it, what's the relationship between somebody's kind of honest emotional expression and them trying to manipulate people has been something that's been happening throughout the season, right? Nina's, I think, maybe the kind of classic example um, in this particular season of The Americans. So, I mean, I guess a, a couple of things. One is that I think Paige is kind of seizing, like seizing the initiative here. Yeah. Like obviously Elizabeth really wanted to tell Paige this, but was still kind of working Philip with Gabriel to make it happen. Philip is obviously opposed to this, but Paige forcing the issue, like really kind of puts them off, right? It really kind yeah. of disquiets and disrupts their, the, the agency they assume to direct the path of Paige's development uh, as a future spy child. And so we see this in Danielle, you pointed out the look that Elizabeth gives to Philip. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I love that particular moment so much. So it's the look that Carrie Russell gives Matthew Reese. It's Matthew Reese's like his eyes dart down. He has this extremely exaggerated grimace and then slowly nods his head and looks so sad and so resigned after doing so. So there's that moment. And then Lily, you pointed out that it's like Elizabeth can't bring herself to say it. And my question for the two of you is to what extent is it that she can't bring herself to say it? And to what extent is it that Elizabeth wants to make Philip do it? I was wondering if not necessarily that Elizabeth wants to make Philip do it, but that like that, that makes sense. And, and I, I like agree with that analysis, but I think like where my brain went was 
not that Elizabeth wants Philip to do it, but in some way she needs him to do it because she like, he's the obstacle. Right. Yeah. So it's like both a want and a need maybe like, and, and his nod is like, okay, like here we are. Yeah. I mean, I think the nod is his consent. Like, yes, this is, we're doing it. We're doing it. We got, we got, we, we got nailed here. So um, let's, let's just, you know, plow forward, even though I didn't really want to do this and certainly not now, but she's got us. I, I wonder um, in regard to actually saying the words that are going to rupture and change Paige's relationship to them and Paige's worldview. Um, if that is really something that um, Elizabeth can't quite figure out how to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she has this, you know, she has a more intense relationship with Paige on a kind of emotional level. And she knows that this is going to, you know, they both know this is going to just rip the carpet yeah. out from under Paige. Um, but, you know, Philip has always also been the one who just plows ahead yeah. when it's required. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. if he doesn't want to do it, and and he will never gr- get credit for doing that from Gabriel, yeah. and it will take a long time if he ever fully gets credit for that from Elizabeth. Yeah, I think it'll happen. I think it comes at some point, but I don't think it's there yet. Yeah, I want to jump back just for a moment to like the John a comment that you made about like their agency, which I like. I'm, I think is a really good way to think about it. It was, it was bait for Danielle to bring up agency (laughs) ultimately. (laughs) At this point, we're like literally in each, in each other's heads. (laughs) We will text each other the same thing at the same time. And like, like with scary frequency, (laughs) No, the, the thing that I'm, that I sort of want to maybe complicate or just like probe a little bit is how, the agency that they think they have, Paige is always troubling that. She's always disrupting mm-hmm. it. A couple of episodes ago when she's like, oh, I want to have like friends over for my birthday. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, I want to have Pastor Tim over, which is the first thing that like puts them on their heels. And then it's like, not only is Pastor Tim over, but Paige is getting baptized. Like they're like, you know, they, the, the wool has like pulled, like been pulled over pulled over their eyes Paige is so good at like catching them off guard which is like scary because they're spies and they shouldn't <laughs> be caught off guard and also I think bodes well I, I feel like that to me that is part of Philip's final acquiescence to this is like recognizing that like regardless of any like quasi training that like Elizabeth is doing Paige is actually like quite good at all of this without even thinking about it. Yes. And, and Henry is completely oblivious as always. always. Henry's (laughs) just looking at Sandy Beeman's bikini picture. (laughs) And like all of the other bikini pictures he has cut out of magazines and newspapers. Yes. I wouldn't have been surprised if he had like put her head on another bikini body also. 
And it's when, you know, he, and he sorted under the floorboard. So he's got a little spy t- tactic there. Exactly. But he's. And that particular moment is shot to make you think that it's Philip getting something out from under a floorboard because it's just arms right. and a shirt that you could picture Philip Jennings wearing. Oh, nice. And it takes like 10 seconds for one to, for the camera to show that it's Henry. Oh, so be- what a before- prepubescent boy. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, you pointed out before we started recording that having do male robots dream of electric sheep followed by this episode is just an incredibly tense back to back and there's very kind of direct in the dialogue connection between the two like i did either of you note the way that the attempt of philip and elizabeth to dance around this reveal about being spies to page kind of repeats some of the same language that elizabeth tried to use to attempt to justify herself to betty in the conversation in betty's office in the previous episode i mean and that's why i think that there 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 is some coaching that happened along the way that if you find yourself in a quagmire where you have to explain yourself a little bit or a little bit more than a little bit that this is, this is essentially what you say, as opposed to coming out and saying, Hey, I'm a KGB spy, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I'm trying to make the world a better place. And, you know, we work for, um, a country that's trying to make peace. Um, and, and there's skepticism both from Betty and from Paige. Same skepticism. Mm -hmm. They're both like very wise but, but like, I mean, that's a failed attempt at a joke, but so this feels like a classroom that I'm in. <laughs> okay, that, that laughter, amazing. That's usually what happens in class also. <laughs> They're both wise, but also they are both, Lily, to your point about like the coaching, it feels like there's something about the conversation that's like by 101, like, here's how you demonstrate honesty without being fully honest or, like, yeah. without giving everything away. And I think the the choice to use the same language or the same kind of language is, like, what feels like heavily trained language um, on page is, like, per- maybe we can read that as an attempt to, like, regain the upper hand, which she is always taking away from them. I just think that it's it's fascinating in the com- combination of these two episodes because Elizabeth says this as she's essentially killing Betty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they say the same thing to Paige, who's going to die and be reborn. Um, so you've got you've got a whole bunch of you know Christology right there um, across <laughs> these two episodes, but that's just a sidebar. Danielle's favorite sidebar of the whole episode, I'm sure. Christology is not a (laughs) word I thought we were going to talk about today, but I'll allow it because I love Lily. (laughs) And I mean, this the coaching point is a really interesting one as well, because Philip has recognized the way that Elizabeth is like seeding the ground or framing or priming page. And then this is another point where like that comes to fruition. And this is to your point, Danielle page or pay, or excuse me, Elizabeth or Elizabeth and Philip trying to like retain some agency or control over the situation because it's like, you know, Elizabeth being like, well, we were activists. Gregory and I were activists together. Let me take you to where Gregory lives mm-hmm. so I can talk about that and contrast it, but also connect you to your activism that you're doing through the church, your peace or your anti-nuclear activism. So there's that element of it, um, of kind of trying to work together. And then like the kind of broader thing that I keep thinking about as we're talking is that 
this goes back to a conversation we had, I think, towards the end of last season, Danielle, about Sharon Krause in sovereignty yeah. and agency, right? That like Paige is asserting the most agency that she can given the circumstances and conditions that have like brought her to this point in an extremely limiting, like structurally limiting uh, way. And in the midst of that, she's like, I'm going to set my parents up. I'm going to force this confrontation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that she, she is constrained. She knows she's constrained. Um, And, and, you know, obviously sort of, going to the church is her really weird form of rebellion. Um, and and I know, um, and it's, (laughs) and it's, and yet it's another constraint on her, obviously, Mm -hmm. because then she has to be pious and so forth. Um, but, but I do think that, and I always think of her in her role also as the first child, right? She, she is very much constrained in the responsibility that she feels and, and takes on with regard to Henry. Um, that we saw earlier on in some of the episodes and also just in terms of like, she's a rule follower. Yeah. She's a rule follower. And even as this reveal totally upends her world, it is like, it, it does so doubly because of her like love of structure. Right. And the structure and Lily, I love the point you made about like the way that she sort of takes on like being Henry's parent. Right. Like that is like such like oldest child, like, not only that, but also this is like something I like feel about my own upbringing. I'm also the oldest child, the like, (laughs) the like taking on the anxiety of your parents, even if you don't know what it's for or from, right? Like there's something, it's like, there's something there's, there is a kind of catharsis that I think is happening with Paige. And I sort of feel like the day after when she's just like catatonic for however many hours until, until the soaps come a calling, (laughs) you know? Um, But like some of that is just like the fallout from like being able to finally understand the source of the, of the anxiety after years of internalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. BRB calling my therapist. Um, that was too. That was a little too real. Too much. Um, too on the no, nose. I mean, it's, it's an inc- it's an incredible interpretation, Danielle, and it also I think crystallizes how both like pernicious, but also in some ways structure providing the end of that first conversation is because it's okay, Paige. Let us give you some rules and layer in the severity yeah. of the consequences of not following these rules. And in, at the same time, it is both a prevention of Paige, like quasi parenting Henry in the way that she is used to doing, as you pointed out, Lily, but on, you know, because now she can't be fully truthful with him and, and at the same time, it's a, let's give you more like life and death responsibility for Henry at the very same time. So like the way that the, that, that you know, here are the consequences. We want to make sure you're clear about this. You may not be able to think clearly about this at this particular moment and that's okay. Right. Is functioning on so many levels for Paige. But she's also flipping. She, she also is flipped around yes. in terms of, she also now is parenting her parents. Mm-hmm. 
in the responsibility that they have given her that she is ultimately now has more anxiety, more responsibility because, and they, and they say that, you know, this is a lot of responsibility that we have just given you. Um, and you ask the question, we answer your question, we love you, but please know that you hold our lives in your hand, which is a parental role. Yeah. And like, this is where like the phone call to Pastor Tim, <laughs> I, my notes are, my notes are like, oh no, Paige, who are you calling? <laughs> Cause I just, because like, I think Lily, you're absolutely right. Like she has been given this responsibility and it's, it's not clear yet that like she knows or, or is capable of knowing like the weight of it, right? Like I-, I can envision myself being like, this is life or death and being like, okay, whatever. Right. Like not because I don't be- believe the things that like my parents or like someone would be saying to me, but just because I wouldn't necessarily have the like mental or emotional capacity to wrap my arms around all of that. Right. And so you sort of, I think you see like teenage page, like starting to wash away as the phone call with Pastor Tim goes on. John. No comment on this washing away (laughs) pastor situation. Oh my God. I hate myself right now. (laughs) Um, But no, but you sort of see, and, and like that scene is played so well because like, at any moment she could reveal because she's a teenager, you know? Mm -hmm. And because she feels already prior to this that her parents have effectively abandoned her, that she has to, like, step into this parent role all the time, that they are hiding things from her. And now she knows what they're hiding and, like, it could have fully crashed to the ground. And, like, that's basically, like, it seems like that's what Elizabeth's, like, you know, hang up about leaving her at home alone is right. And it's like, no, we just sort of have to see how this works out. Yeah. And Philip has more faith in her. I don't know why. (laughs) I mean, like ultimately it's right, but I'm like, I'm on Elizabeth's side, but maybe it's just because I'm suspicious of everyone. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. So, and if you, even if we rewind to the end of the conversation, like that previous night, you know, Philip, takes the phone off the hook, right? And, and, you know, and even my, whatever, fourth time or whatever, watching this episode, I'm like, oh yeah, he's got a call in the, like, you know, his code to be like, we had to tell Paige. That's what I thought too. But no, it's simply to make sure the phone's off the hook. And Larissa Kondracki directing, like, make sure we get that point so intently because it's like the camera pans and then zooms on the phone as the volume increases on the, like, busy signal. Um, It's like fade to black end of the scene. After another incredible shot composed by Kondracki and the team, where there's Philip in the foreground, Elizabeth in the background on like either sides of the kind of like column that's sticking out a little bit yeah. in the kitchen, but like with their backs all the way up against the wall. And it's just like, okay, their backs are against the wall. It's at the same time, both like a like military pose, stand up straight, order, discipline, yeah. like this is a mission. Or it's a firing squad, right? Like they've gone through or maybe facing as a result of if Paige were to tell they're facing the firing squad. There's just like so much happening from that particular shot composition to the pan to the phone off the hook. 
I read that shot differently, but I like your reading of it because my that shot to me was, and I think this can be like a, a, a fun both and, but that shot to me was them like needing structural support from the mm. weight of like the reveal. And I hadn't picked up on the, like, the column sticking out between them. But, like, there is still, like, they're together, but there's still this divide, right? Which is kind of, like, one of the big themes of the season. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, they did come together and unite in their conversation with Paige. But I think that tension there about, like, Paige's future as a second generation um is is very much still an unsolved piece of this. While Philip is like obviously not happy to tell her but like goes along with this cuz it makes sense and like goes through these motions, like I can't imagine that he's like elated that this has happened and also that like it's kind of like he knew it was going to happen so so there's a little bit of like well finally, you know? Like there's got to be a little relief in all of this too. Which unites him per your earlier reading, Danielle, with Paige. Exactly. Exactly. Which is like, that is always what he seems to want and need is like being united with Paige. Well, I think it's his filial love for her, Mm -hmm. um, which I think for him is much more acute than Mm -hmm. it is for Elizabeth. And Elizabeth Mm -hmm. obviously loves Paige and loves Henry. But she's also developing Paige as a spy. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why Philip may trust Paige more, because he just gives over to his, you know, his understanding of Paige as his daughter um, and, and sort of how, how he understands her to be. Yes, that's, that's a beautiful interpretation. And I mean, it's, it's, it's amidst this, the, amidst this atmosphere of just total saturation of, like, violence mm-hmm. and the danger that they're in. Like, witness that they have this conversation. Philip says that they should just trust Paige, that, like, it would be bad spycraft to, like, pressure her or stay behind and watch her, et cetera, et cetera. And they, like, come, or he comes, at least, to this acceptance for Paige. And then the camera pulls to the trunk pulling out of the garage, i.e. where they held the colonel from the very first few episodes of the Americans, like in the back of their trunk um, at their house for several days. And Stan almost found out and he got murdered. The colonel got murdered in their garage. So like that's there too, just in case we had forgotten. Um, Obviously we didn't, but like I, I really appreciated that like brief callback or suggestion of a callback. Yeah. And it's also the, obviously the, the Camaro that he bought in, in sort of in his capitalistic in, inclinations um, mm-hmm. that was so, so focused on in episode new car, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is oddly aligned, I think as well, Lily, like with, it's another oddly one of the reasons why he can trust Paige, right? Yeah. That there's something about the kind of, I have this somewhat individualistic, like atomized but familial bond that like lets her lets him give himself over to Paige's will with regards to this at some level. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or I think like maybe another way to think about that, but I think related is that like if for Elizabeth and like it is striking to me that in the reveal she's the one that's like we're we do it for our country, right? Like 
that that's like the piece of it that she's saying, at least at first, like, I think Philip's relationship, both to Paige and to his cars are like part (laughs) of, right. Like part of the way that like capitalism, the American lifestyle, it's like part of the divide that Philip and Elizabeth experience where Elizabeth is so like, fervent in her in her like belief and devotion to the cause it's like the place where philip is not as much is also the place where he can have this like different kind of bond with Paige. like there it's like part of the same like set of structures and and i mean it takes you back to the first episode to the pilot right we we yeah. we walk into this this world when philip and Paige are at the at the department store um and they're shopping right and oh my god and that 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 weird guy sort of makes googly eyes at at elizabeth and then of course um philip goes and defends her virtue and like puts a knife Mm -hmm. in his hand or i can't remember exactly how he was very violent towards him um and of course philip's also the one who goes with Paige to buy the baptism dress um, yes. so that, you know, we have these, these components of Philip as dad to Paige, um, yeah. where he's both protector, um, and, you know, and sort of, and dad guy, you know, friend yeah. and, and shopping companion and sort of doing the dad thing that we do in the United States. Yeah. No, I think that that's, I think that that's absolutely right. I had forgotten about, I mean, I will never forget about all the various in, incarnations of Dirtbag Philip, which is <laughs> the version that goes to beat up that dude. But, but yeah, and that's the problem with Kimmy too, right? That's that's why he has such uh, an issue with regard to his relationship with Kimmy because Kimmy is is Elizabeth. I'm going to be a very Kimmy is page. Well, Kimmy is also kind of Elizabeth too. I think like we had this conversation, I think several episodes ago, Danielle and I did, but yeah, I mean, and, and is page and, ah, Kimmy, sad Kimmy in this episode is really depressing. We'll we'll (laughs) talk about sad Kimmy. We will. In a a bit. What did you two make of stylistically a kind of somewhat out of ordinary scene for the Americans where when Paige is at home to make her phone call to pastor Tim, um, that it's this like fading back and forth between Philip and Elizabeth worrying as they're in the back office of the travel agency with Paige making the phone call. I actually didn't love this. This didn't work for me. I kind of just wanted Paige. Like I just want Holly Taylor acting as Paige um, for the entirety of this phone call. Like I didn't need the cut back and forth or the fade back and forth, I should say. I mean, I guess, I, I, I guess it was really the idea of showing how impactful, I hate that word. Um, the, the choice was the night before and yeah. how concerned they are. Like they, do they actually know their daughter? Mm-hmm. Um, and do they trust her? I mean, they have to do this all the time, right? With the people that they're running, they have to sort of trust them to do the right thing and to sort of follow through. And Elizabeth has got this going on with the South African guy too, um, who she can't mm-hmm. quite trust to do the right thing because Hans, he makes bad choices. Um, yeah. He's Hans, bad at it. <laughs> he's he's bad at it. Um, and and you know we don't know we don't know if Paige is going to be good or bad at being a spy. Um, right. But I, I, I do think 
that, you know, it's trying to emphasize that their relationship with Paige is not just about her being their daughter in this particular instance, but also Paige as like a kind of operative that they're working with. You can't rat them out. I wasn't, John, just to come back to your, your question, like this, I actually really liked the cutting back and forth um, in part because I see like the wanting there just to be Paige, but like to me, there's like what happens with Paige only matters because of like the Philip and Elizabeth of it all. And so like seeing, I, I honestly was like shocked that they actually left the house. Like my, when they go up to her room with the breakfast and like <laughs> Philip goes up with breakfast and then, and Paige is just like catatonic on her bed. And then Elizabeth comes up and they're like, okay, like we're, we're out of here. I was like, that's a lie, right? Like they can't actually be out of here. If my parents were like, we're spies, the next day they would not leave me in the house by myself. But like they do, which I think we've already talked about is sort of this mark of respect. And so I, I think I needed the Philip and Elizabeth of it all for the tension around the call with Pastor Tim for just the like the the sort of like the emotionality or the or the or the sort of like lack thereof with regard to Paige's expressiveness. Like I needed that I needed the connection. No, those both make sense. I think for me it's just that that particular way of shooting it and editing it like distracted me from the emotional intensity for all of the characters, actually, I think is what it was for me. And I can, that's fair. I mean, yeah, exactly. I can, I can certainly see that. Um, and, and it did interrupt and it, and you're right, John, it's not something that the Americans does very often. Yeah. Okay. So we get them coming home, fill up Elizabeth, like they're trepidatious (laughs) about coming home. Paige, chilling, friendly, jovial, like was home watching some soap operas, like having a great time. She has been so primed for herself, and at least this is how I read it, and so Mm -hmm. primed by Elizabeth more so than Philip that like, okay, this is disruptive. It's like fucked her up entirely. And she still has the ability to be at, I can be cordial about it and like, She's not in her bed still, right? She's changed, right? She's put different clothes on. Like the next morning, she's in the exact same outfit as the night before. Yeah. She's made it downstairs. She's changed her clothes. She's enjoying hanging out, watching a soap opera. Like she's gotten through one tiny part of this, like total life transformation. Yeah. Um, and, and the way she looks the next morning, which is, I mean, sort of a, a complete transformation of page like glamorous fancy cascading hair and um an outfit that mirrors elizabeth's interestingly enough um and then she becomes antagonistic she's not antagonistic when they come home she's antagonistic the next day they come home she's not antagonistic but i also think like to the point of like everything has changed i also think that nothing's changed right like and that's kind of the like that's so much of the intensity of the reveal is wrapped up in the idea that like, while now she has like the kernel of understanding about like where all of this is coming from, 
nothing like really changes about her life because like her parents are still not going to be able to tell her everything. Right. And she doesn't know that like part of the reason why they're telling her is because like her life, I think is actually about to change in a really profound way. Like this is also like, it's everything and nothing, which I I'm kind of fascinated by it. I agree totally with you. Danielle is that, like she has to, she's putting the puzzle pieces together in her brain. And yeah. and we see a bunch of that the next morning when she starts asking them direct questions about incidents that we've seen as an audience um, that she's just like, was that when we were spies? Were you being spies then? Um, and, and, you know, so when they come home and she's sitting on the couch watching soap operas, she's probably digested a lot of this into herself. Yeah. Um, and at that point she's just like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing right now. One of those puzzle pieces she's putting together is we live across the street from an FBI agent who's our friend. Right. And like watching Paige's face in the background is Stan just like does his goofy ass shambling in to hang out and have a beer and get some food from the Jennings because he's emotionally lonely and cold. No pizza Uh, crust for this Paige just in the background, like, the look on Holly Taylor's look on her face yeah. as she's like, wait a second, I hadn't even thought about this part of this thing is like just truly oh iconic. Like Paige is dumbfounded. It yeah. like Stan works for the FBI. Don't worry, Paige will soon learn that Stan is bad at his job. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the only explanation. <laughs> But I, and that that is just it. It is just a fantastic shot yeah. of her <laughs> <laughs> when it's all fit into place because you can see the face, the pieces just coming together, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Philip sharpening oh. a knife behind. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> Elizabeth oh is God. just like shooting lasers at Paige. Like, is this the moment? And Philip's like, I'm fucking ready to go like i got both of these knives right like i am ready if some if it goes bad here and stan like it's like why are you staring at me page and philip time number two that a lie about christianity has saved his ass right oh my god saved him from having sex with kimmy and it makes it he uses it to make a joke about how Paige is just thinking a lot more deeply and taking a lot more into consideration since her baptism and stan like 91 percent goes along with it with his goofy ass grin and like i want to believe there's this kernel of something's off here that he just can't realize what a fucking closing scene to this episode. Honestly. <laughs> it is the like from Paige being like basically like a silent version of holy fuck, like how are we all still alive? And yeah. and then and then just like clocking like Stan's idiocy. <laughs> and then, <laughs> like it's just like it's too perfect but that's not how the scene ends how does the scene end oh we get some like audio distortion just to emphasize the like bizarreness of this whole situation um we get this shot of Paige on one side of like their little cutout peak window into the kitchen from the dining room Which Paige just is on one existed. side 
Stan is on the other side of the kitchen table. Camera closes on page as she, like, dramatically closes the book she's been reading for, like, doing homework, right? Like, how obvious can it be? A new chapter is started and a new life is existing for Paige. Let's close the book on the old one. Yeah, I, I would have liked it if she just stood up and left the book open. So, personally. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that's that's the political theorist yeah. <laughs> uh, way to end this scene. Well, and I just, like, I need to go back to this idea of, I want to go back to the idea of, like, agency and, and Paige and Philip and Elizabeth, just to complicate it a little bit more. Because it's like, yes, Paige, you're absolutely right. Book closed on part one of your life, book open on part two. Like, but it's not like your parents are telling you this just because they love you. And like, you should know that there is an ulterior motive here. And I think like, this is a moment where for me, like reading that scene at the end is a moment where like, I don't think that those pieces have fallen into place yet for Paige. And I am really fascinated to see what happens when she realizes that the reason she's been told and Henry hasn't is not just like she's mature or whatever, but it's that like, there's a whole other thing like about to unfold here. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Philip and Elizabeth retain the upper hand. Stan still bad at his job. Paige floored. <laughs> what a great way to end an episode. <laughs> Can I make a couple of observations about like how this is working in terms of like the narrative structure of the yeah. season and the show as a whole? And then I want to get your two thoughts on it. And Lily, I know you've written about this as well. Um, like to name this episode stingers and open it on like the big reveal. The big dramatic thing is that the Mujahideen leaders are coming to the U S to meet with the CIA and we've got an Intel on it and we have to do a stakeout at the hotel. And like the episode of the name is stingers, i.e. the anti-aircraft missiles that the CIA will eventually start giving to the Mujahideen in the sketchiest and shadiest and most illegal way possible a couple years down the line. Right. <laughs> but like, this is not actually an episode about the missiles. The stingers themselves are only like by connotation, part of the episode, literally, it's like the stinger the missile is pages like confrontation to her family just absolutely incredible uh like slight misdirection in the episode at the same time that there's some like foreshadowing of this about to happen so we pointed out that you have we have like pastor tim saying treat her like an adult and not a child we also then later have Paige arriving at the travel office unannounced surprise visit and she says oh are you trying to turn me into a travel Legion? I mean, like, come on. Just this absolutely was, amazing. This was my second favorite line after the Are We Aliens? Um, <laughs> which was, like, because that's before you get this reveal, and she goes trying to turn me into a travel agent, and my notes say, like, meta, LOL, she doesn't even know. <laughs> so and that was before the, like, reveal, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with you, John, that, you know, there there is this kind of misdirection that is going on, I think, in a lot of this season. Um, yes. And, you know, how, how can we, we spend an entire episode, almost an entire episode with Elizabeth and Betty in a dark office having a conversation? Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of moving the plot forward, 
not a lot of moving the plot forward in terms right. of understanding Elizabeth and how she thinks and what she thinks about things, a lot of movement forward. Yes. Um, and so, you know, again, there's a lot of misdirection. Obviously we also have the whole Walter Taffet and the bug in Gad's office. <laughs> yeah. And, oh my and God. We have the Russian lady whose name I forget. Zineda. Don't worry. I've got, I've got theory. I can't wait to talk about her, but yeah. And so that they're, they're, I mean, and, and, and we don't, you don't necessarily anticipate that this is what's going to happen in this episode. No. And I remember the Mm. first time as I'm watching it, you know, when it's broadcasting on television (laughs) and stuff is like, Oh oh my God. Yeah. There's there's nothing about the narrative arc of the season that leads you to believe this is the episode, you know, and not in both in the narrative arc of this season of the Americans or in like the narrative structure of the so-called like new golden age of television where it's like, oh, you put all the like dramatic reveals in your penultimate episode so you can deal with the aftermath and the finale. Like that's the classic structure of The Wire or The Sopranos or whatever, right? And it's different here with the Americans. They're like, Mm, episode 10 let's go um we're gonna do it but i think that there's a point to that and that it like it confronts the viewer of the show narratively the same and you know to put us in the position of philip and elizabeth when like mm. Paige, from their perspective out of the blue asks them like yeah. what's the truth here it's like that's that same like jolt or shock that like they experience in that moment we get a lesser version of that as the viewers to be like holy shit this is happening now yeah yeah, I mean, I I love that you're pointing this out because I was thinking about this today on the treadmill and I was like, how wild is it that this is episode 10? Like, this is not <laughs> like, this is what I thought. And we have, you know, like you asked me for a prediction around this and I was like, yeah, like by the end of the season and I was thinking penultimate or the, final, or the finale episode, that's like when this reveal is going to happen. And so it just to me is like, well, what else is going to happen? Because the penultimate episodes in this series have been bonkers. So like, (laughs) and the finales too, everybody keeps getting shot. So like, who's going to get shot? Don't tell me. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that seems like an appropriate moment to head into the segments and start with, I think Danielle has maybe multiple victory laps she would like to take in Danielle Dossier. (laughs) At least one and like like one and a half, right? So like first of all, I'm taking a victory lap on Zinyeda because our girl is a double agent. I also, Lily, in the last episode predicted that at some point Stan's gonna sleep with her. So like TBD on that one. But (laughs) like double agent using some great spy craft. I that feels like a win. Um I think also like Martha watch. (laughs) Like Stan suspects Martha, so I just feel like we're creeping closer. It's not a win yet, but it looks like it's going to be one. My prediction is Martha doesn't make it alive to the end of the season. I mean, Danielle, I have two absolutely vital questions for you. Question number one, is this page reveal a victory for the Daniel dossier? I I feel like maybe it's also a half victory, right? So it's like I last season was like very into like Paige figuring it out. But like ultimately Paige 
didn't figure it out. And like, she also hasn't figured out the rest of it. So, but like she figured out that something was wrong, which is sort of where she was last season when she was like, why are you in the laundry room at 1130 at night? You weirdo. (laughs) You do have a, just, this is in our notes, Daniel, just Chekhov's page. Dime bag this season. Um, Yeah. You have several versions in seasons two and three of like Paige knows is going to figure something, but not the whole thing. out. There are a few versions of that so my second question danielle is like now we gotta get you on the record with some page predictions moving forward either in this season or beyond yeah i think the next thing is gonna be like i have to think about it a little bit more but like how page is like i feel like i'm gonna want to predict like how Paige does on her missions and like when she's actually like inducted into being a spy, like when do they actually reveal this to her? When does Paige realize that like, this isn't the full story, right? Like that's, I think the next like big question, maybe it's the next episode, but maybe it's like two seasons away. Who knows? I can't imagine a child of mine being a spy. It seems like (laughs) terrible. Well, you know, I, and, and that's one of the reasons why Philip didn't want her to do it. Yes. Like I'm yeah. with you, Philip. It doesn't seem like a good life. Although spycraft is fun. Sure. <laughs> but Philip also like has this realization and you like get to see it on Matthew Reese's face that his line all season has been, I want this to be a choice for Paige. And like, he has a moment of realization that there was never any choice that was going to happen. Or that, like, this is the best version of the choice because, like, she wants to know what's up, even though, like, I think your point, like, you're right that, like, there was never any choice. Sort of intensity of the demand to tell her what's going on alongside this idea that there's no real choice, I think, like, is as best as sort of Philip can get, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Philip feels very boxed in by all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seemed less boxed in this episode than other episodes, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I would just- agree, except for Matthew Reese's face. And just, like, yeah. the multiple different flavors of resignation and, like, dejection that yeah. Matthew Reese can communicate just in, like, how his eyes are turned down to the floor. Yeah, it's really yeah. true. Okay, those are all of my dossier entries. Any any other entries to the dossier before we leave we leave it for today? No. No? All right, let's dig into the let's dig into gloss. So we ended the main discussion with like, you know, the plot point that Stan came for dinner um before getting into the narrative structure stuff and so maybe let's pick up with stan and henry and like as i put in our notes surrogate dad weirdness (laughs) i just like oh my god all of this my notes are like henry being at stan's is too much um and then like oh no stan stop like creepily looking at henry It goes in both directions, right? Totally. Like, so, so Henry is using Stan as surrogate dad because, like, Philip never around when he is, like, <laughs> willing to entertain Henry's <laughs> terrible jokes and is a spy, right? Um, and Stan is also using Henry as, like, well, Matthew's no longer really my son, so maybe I can, like, find somebody to emote against or emote to, right? <laughs> Who, like, can replace Matthew. Like, what? down to, like, 
oh, I loved playing this game with Matthew or Henry being like, doesn't Matthew still live? Yeah, oh my God, Dad. Like, I don't know. Let me have this adult I, conversation with you, 12-year-old I, boy. I don't know. I don't know if Matthew still lives here. I was like, no, that's a thing you have to know. First of all, the answer is no. He doesn't still live there. And second of all, like, get it together, Stan. Bad at your job. Bad at being a dad. Stop, like, trying to get better at these things by sleeping with random Russians and also stealing Philip's son. Also Russian. <laughs> this Russian thing's gotta go. No, well, it was, it was so depressing, right? When, oh, when yeah. Henry goes over there and he's and he's like, I have to catalog all these things to decide if I want them or not. This is the terribleness oh of God. divorce that you should understand. And then he's like, didn't you know that we were getting divorced? Divorce. And he's like, uh, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's 12. 12. Let him play his handheld game. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. And there's also the, like, as Paige is both brought closer into Philip and Elizabeth and pushed away from Philip and yeah. Elizabeth simultaneously, like, Henry's just off in this other differently fucked up like kinship situation <laughs> where Stan has no emotional sense to him and like let's literalize it by being like there's stuff everywhere and we're gonna shoot from the perspective of the stuff random stuff on the table like a pac-man doll or toy or something in the foreground and like <laughs> Stan and his new bud slash son Henry on um, like either side like frame perfectly against the dining room table with all the on stuff the on it yeah yes well and you get this like moment this is when they're in the Jennings house um, before Philip and Elizabeth are like Elizabeth's like, oh, do you want to stay for dinner? And Stan's like, if you're asking. And then Philip's like, sorry, we got to go. And and then <laughs> he has, like, brought Henry this present, um, like this, you know, bootleg, uh, bootleg movie. And Philip has, like, Matthew Reese's face acting there is also really good because he's like, I do not like this, but I, like – can't it can't register to the level of important to me right now which is just like feels like every single time that philip has to deal with henry is that it's like it can't rise to the level of important and yet my son is seeking out a surrogate father who's like a member of the fbi well and of course <sighs> the the his 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 scowl at henry the next morning after the page reveal when you know it, Henry's oh. doing the Eddie Murphy routine oh and Philip is like, I can't. just want to ignore you and do something else. Yeah. <laughs> oh my so, God. I can't. So I'm going to emotionally push you into the uh, emotionally stunted arms of our FBI neighbor across the street. Uh, <laughs> we emotionally oh stunted gosh. together. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And, but like Stan this is one of the lovely things about the character of Stan Beeman that he always retains like a slight bit of being extremely prescient about all of the things yes. that are secretly happening around yeah. him. Right. Like not enough, he, but a slight, bit. right. That's the beauty of it. Like that precise balance is what's so wonderful oh about gosh. it for, in a TV show. But like, he he lies to himself and to Walter Taffet, like, in the interrogation yep. room. No, there was no other woman. I wasn't, like, deeply in love with the Russian triple agent. No, no. How could you say such a thing? Like, immediately then walks back to his desk and was like, Martha, 
Yeah. Well, and you see the realization, like, so he has that realization in the room with Walter Taffet after he lies, and he's, like, bad at lying anyway, but then, like, lies, and Taffet is, like, okay, and kind of, like, isn't believing him, and then Stan pauses, right, and, like, just kind of goes blank for a minute, and Taffet's, like, who are you thinking of right now? Mm -hmm. Oh no, no one. And it's like, obviously he's thinking of someone. And part of me and our like running joke on this, on this uh, series is like that Stan is, is like bad at his job most of the time. And like good at his job every once in a while, but like usually just like trips over his own two feet anyway, even after he's good at his job. And I'm like, in that moment where he has that pause, I'm like, does he suspect Martha? Like, that feels like the only person he could really suspect. And then he comes out and he's like, where's Martha? And I'm like, whoa, good at your job. But also, like, I don't know, you're like mixed up in this Oleg nonsense. Like, <laughs> who knows what's going on with that? Like, I feel like the realization that Martha is the only one that could have done it, which like, how did no one else even get there yet? Amazing. But, like, that realization is going to go away, I think. Well, I, I mean, mean, the whole I, FBI office can't figure out that Martha was the one who bugged the pen. <laughs> how did they not search her bag? Like... They they use the, like... I know. Electronic sweeping tool. No, I know, <laughs> but, like... like it, no, but it's like, it's like the trust in, like, the technological solution <sighs> over the human solution, right? It's like an instrumental rationality deal. People are so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Agent Gad's whole, you know, conversation with Stan in the vault. Um, oh, my when God. When he's just like, you know, we shouldn't have been saying those names in my office. Um, and we should have only been saying them in the vault. And I have to remember every single name I ever said in my office because I, too, am not a great FBI agent. <laughs> <laughs> I, too, have, like, weird shit in my life. <laughs> And Aderholz, the, like, only capable person in that entire <laughs> fucking office, like, has this kind of crush on Martha that's blocking him from being suspicious <laughs> enough of her. And he's the end, on top of that, if Aderholz was the one to be like, I think maybe Martha, which, like, I could see him of everyone getting there, but, like, everyone else is like, oh, you're black, so you can't have any real thoughts. <laughs> exactly. It's, like, yeah. really mm -hmm. wild how blatant mm -hmm. the racism is. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! <laughs> but I still think like Martha. Martha's done for. <laughs> <laughs> like she's fucked. <laughs> no oh comment. Oh my god. Okay, good. Um, all right. What's next in Gloss? We should talk about like the Afghanistan oh, mission yeah. of it all, right? Because again, like to the point of this Wild. is this is the page episode called Stingers about this major development yeah. in the spy story of the KGB figuring out what the CIA is doing in Afghanistan. So we have this like hotel situation and Elizabeth and Philip are just are both like fully in the mission at the hotel and so mad at one another and frustrated with one another yeah. that like just the tone of their communication with one another while they're at that table and they're like very posh 80s outfits um, was really, really tension riddled. Yeah. And nonetheless, like Elizabeth pulls off this first step of the mission. Right. 
Danielle, do you like have a sense as a first time viewer, like what the mission is? Because <laughs> like it's they, they're like it's not spelled out necessarily in the way that other missions are. I mean, I know that there's like stuff with Yusuf in Afghanistan, and like it's got to be, con- it's obviously connected to like Kimmy's dad, CIA man. Beyond that, like beyond those like points of connection, like I have no idea. And I looked up a summary to be like, maybe I missed it. And I don't think that we were told what it was. No. Or I'm just an idiot. You're not, a, you're not an idiot. Because <laughs> no, again, I, I, I didn't sit down and watch everything up to this, to, to do this um, podcast with you all. And yeah. then I was watching I was watching the episode. And I was like, what is going on with the Afghanistan <laughs> storyline? I cannot remember the bits and pieces of it. Except yeah. that. Philip's son is there, and yeah. uh-huh. and we, obviously Misha. the Kimmy storyline's been going on for a while now, um, mm-hmm. and reengaged me fabulously with the group, the music group <laughs> Yaz, um, and and so you know, but I just jumping in again, I'm just like, what, who, which one? I don't know. Well, <laughs> and I feel like also my sort of perception of the season especially because like there's been so much around the tension with Paige, like that, that is like such a centerpiece of this season. And then like the last couple of episodes are sort of the like bug reveal and, and all of that, that it's like the Afghanistan stuff is like how the season started. Right. With like cowboy Phillip and like, and that's the start of season two. (laughs) That's the start of season two. Yeah, that in in the Afghan restaurant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Okay, yeah, so like so they, this... they've been playing the long game with us on this. Yeah. So this storyline has been going on for a long time, but like in such like it's being doled out in such tiny pieces. That's why I was like, did I miss something? But it's good to hear that I in fact did not. And it's it's another way in which they're commenting on the page reveal and the structure of the episode. Yeah. It's like you know. Amidst this page confrontation, Philip and Elizabeth have to like go on this mission and like there they are having to muster the energy to like track down the names of the people that are coming by like Elizabeth seducing the front desk receptionist at the hotel to get the names of the Mujahideen leaders who are coming for the CIA and like, um, and then Paige confronts them in the middle of it. So yeah. it's like, how are they as spy people supposed to be able to focus on that at all? Well, and like part of it, right. Is like, you, you kind of get a slight answer to that because Philip wakes Elizabeth to tell her, but then yeah. is like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. So like, don't like, she's like, Oh, I slept a little bit. And, and he's like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. So like, do not worry about it. And then who doesn't get any sleep the next night? Paige. Paige. Tough life for a spy. Yep. Even a junior spy. <laughs> Even a junior spy. <laughs> Maybe this is like a good place to, we've already mentioned Misha, but just like Misha. So Philip and, and Gabriel have this exchange where Gabriel's like, we like, we basically arranged for Misha to get released from the, from like the army early or from, and like leave Afghanistan early. And he rejected it. Um, and Philip is like, I did not ask you for that. 
And Gabriel's like, I know that you, like, you know, of co- yeah, of course you didn't ask me for it, but this is what we did. And, and so I'm just sort of interested in like thinking a little bit about like the non-release and, and like, maybe there's a way in which structurally Misha's relationship to the army is a little bit like linked to Elizabeth, Elizabeth's relationship to the cause. Yeah. Like, that these institutions are like filling in. And and in both situations, you have Philip as a kind of <clears throat> pivot point for his affection to a mm-hmm. child, one whom he knows and one whom he doesn't know. Um, yeah. And and you know, and he's trying to save both of them on some yeah. level, um, and and be a parent in that regard. Uh, so I, I mean, I think that's a little bit of what's what's going on yeah. there. Um, but you know, this is it's a it's a kind of awkward conversation not that philip's conversations with gabriel have been you know sort of smooth sailing um but it's yet another awkward conversation with gabriel for philip well yeah and also the like that philip is philip's reaction to gabriel telling him this like i didn't ask you for that is like the idea that gabriel could have an a thing another thing to hold over, over philip's head is like so horrifying to philip and i think that's really interesting because like elizabeth does the asking and it's it's interesting that like that request implicates philip too yeah. in a way that he would not just like doesn't want to ask for a favor, but doesn't want to ask for a favor because like he is like one foot out the door on all of this at the moment. Lily, I mean, we have the chance to have you here. What's your like general take on Gabriel as their handler in this season? Um, Cause Danielle and I have spent a lot of time this season talking about the manipulative side of Gabriel. Yeah. I mean, I, Obviously, they have this prior relationship that's written mm-hmm. into the narrative with Gabriel, and they like him, particularly Elizabeth likes him much better um, than Margot Martindale. Um, but <laughs> um, but at this not same, a high bar to clear. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but I think you know, I I think that that Gabriel does does push on, particularly with with regard to Philip, does push on him and and to some degree he disrespects him yeah and 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 philip knows that yeah yeah and and that and that elizabeth is is gabriel's favorite um and there's really nothing that philip can do about that um because in in watching the um the other episode about the um male the male computer um that you have that whole (laughs) awkward um scrabble game um, yeah, and and you know Philip's just like shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting to hear to hear sort of like where you're coming from with regard to Gabriel because I think it matches a lot of the conversations that John and I have been having. Yeah, should we keep moving forward in gloss? We've got also on the agenda. I mean, we mentioned her briefly, but drunk Kimmy, sad Kimmy is just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Philip has to go pick her up drunk at a party that her friends were supposed to be at, right? Brings her back. She like kind of passes out. Philip goes to his like, oh, now I have the chance to change out the tape recorder and get the most recent recording, which sets off this whole Mujahideen um, 
uh, sort of situation. And we get this, like, the camera really wants to make sure we catch how sad Kimmy is in the family picture from vacation. And that we see Philip seeing how sad Kimmy is in the picture on family vacation. So, like, you know, that's a little bit. A little, little bit obvious, but I was kind of here for it because, like, I think that they, I think I think that Kimmy's storyline is really, really incredible the way they handle it in the show. Well, and it just like it keeps doubling down on the like how awkward and challenging this is for Philip and vis a vis Paige, vis a vis Misha, like, vis a vis his own like stuff around everything that's happening, which is part of both of those things too. But I think you're like pushing us to, to focus in on like the sadness of, of Kimmy is like, it's important, right? It's like important for, for, it has implications for all of that too. Yeah. And especially when, go ahead, John, go ahead, go ahead. Lily. So especially when Paige doesn't have any friends except for her 40 year old <laughs> pastor, Tim, and Kimmy doesn't have any friends except for 40 year old James, the alcohol lobbyist. Yeah. And- Who's fake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and Philip has to operate also on the schedule of a high school teenager. Um, and so he, he keeps getting these like ridiculous requests from Kimmy because he, she thinks that he's an independent, like high flyer. And, and here he is, he's got Martha, he's got Kimmy, he's got Paige, he's got his son in Afghanistan. He is, he is playing father or emotionally available person to a ridiculous number of people and Gabriel's throwing him under the bus and Elizabeth's mad at him. And yep. he's doing all that and not playing father to his own son. Right. <laughs> yeah. Whom he likes and a lot. Not ha- yeah, seriously. And has had not had any racquetball games with Stan, as far as we know, to like get a little bit of a workout and some fun and some and some aggression time in there to work it all out. He's too busy trying not to sleep with Kimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, all right. So a couple more brief notes in glass. We got to check in on, I <laughs> learned in this episode that Carrie Russell learning Russian for the first time and me having studied Russian and studied in Russia as an undergrad, but not having spoken Russian since like 2009 with any regularity, we have converged on <laughs> how bad our Russian accents are when Paige <laughs> instructs her to say something in Russian and she says, Moi, uh, moi than a word that I didn't catch um, when it was going. So we love you, like little one or something like that. And uh, yeah, so we learned that. Uh, and Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese like did have to learn some Russian for this show. That's kind of like canon. Well, and it's also like I kind of love that within the story that like her accent's shitty now, right? Because like even though it's her mother tongue, like she's not allowed to be that person anymore. And so like that's kind of interesting to me. <laughs> And yeah. yeah, you have Betty commenting on how good her English is in the previous yeah, episode. Exactly. Oh, great catch. Oh, good great catch, catch, Lily. Just got to shout out our boy, Love Gorn. We get a like fast but fun Arcadi scene. We love Arcadi. We love a like jump cut to Arcadi lighting yeah. a sig like right into the camera um, in oh the KGB equivalent of the vault. And like we get this 
Oleg's in some deep, going to be, appears in some deep shit because, in fact, Zanita is on a mission. And, in fact, uh, Tatiana is running this. And, in fact, they're going to go check in with the center uh, about what is happening. And they're going to be like, no, we didn't send anybody. Gee, who could be the tall man poorly disguised in a bad mustache and a shadow? (laughs) Who likes to hit people with a gun? (laughs) All right. And with that... We're heading to Borrowed Nostalgia for the Unremembered, or Remembered, as the case may be, 80s this week. (laughs) And, Danielle, we want to clear the floor for you. You have some further Henry (sighs) thoughts you'd like to bring to our attention. So Henry is quoting Eddie Murphy. I think it's raw, but, but it might be whatever the other one is that's, like, released right around the same time. Um... I feel like Henry is in blackface in the vocal version of blackface and it feels very uncomfortable and really Mm -hmm. unnecessary. And like, I just, I watched those specials when I was younger with my dad and did not realize like kind of, you know, that like quoting them was not a thing that I should be doing. And I just feel like this is a moment where Henry needed to be parented and like, like told not to speak like this. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's, Philip is so disconnected from Henry when Henry is pulling us <laughs> off because he doesn't know what Paige is going to do next. And right. all he does is look so frustrated and annoyed with Henry. And Henry just keeps going on. <laughs> and then, like, does it again uh, right? the second on the way time, out the door. It's like he has, to, he has to double down on it. Not not the only 80s, like, let's enact some casual violence against marginalized people moment of this episode. A great segue to the next uh, unremembered 80s <laughs> note about Tootsie and transphobia, which, so, Stan and Zineda are, um, they're at the movies, this is, like, where Zineda does the drop. And they walk out of a theater and they're talking about Tootsie, which like also like another property that, you know, has come under scrutiny in more recent years, more scrutiny than it did when it came out, I think. And we sort of get this like, what I read is like transphobic moment between both Zinyeda and Stan, which also felt very true to the 80s to me, but also perhaps true to today too. Yeah, I mean, I I thought it really reflected on, you know, somebody coming from Russia or the Soviet Union's perspective on the frivolousness that these Americans have with regard to their, you know, their, their movies and what, why are they doing this? And why is she dressed like, why is he dressed like a woman? And I don't get the jokes and, and Stan just goes along with it. Because he's Stan. Right. Yeah. It's like, so Zineda says, oh, that would never happen in Soviet Union. And Stan says, wouldn't happen here either. Right. So it's the, like his assent to it. And well, Lily, I was thinking about this as I was, after I watched the episode and it's like, you're literally the perfect person to ask because you wrote the book, edited the book. But like, (laughs) I got very strong Mad Men vibes from both of these moments that Danielle has picked out for us. Like the way that Mad Men would like exaggerate what we would deem as problematic or oppressive from our contemporary perspective. So as to like ask certain questions about the time period that's being depicted. Like, do you think that's a, I'm, you are literally the expert here. Like, do you think that's a reasonable (laughs) interpretation? 
or like resonance for me to see. Well, I mean, I think that this is the case when you see these these um, shows that are made in a contemporary period and integrating the the sort of nostalgic components to them and nostalgic views very broadly here, um, you know, in terms of bringing in um, components of the culture of the time, right. And, and sort of how that, how that fit into the culture at the time from a Soviet perspective, from an American Mm -hmm. FBI perspective. I mean, we can't ever forget how Gad shows up and he's, puts his picture of Reagan on the wall and he's like, and we're all going to do the right thing now um, because Reagan's in charge. Um, And so that's, you know, that's definitely the color of the FBI sort of perspective. And so a movie like Tootsie where you have this sort of farcical um, sending up of um, cross-dressing in, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, Dustin Hoffman and it's an Academy Award min- winning film and blah, 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 that it is highlighting these sort of cultural components of the time. And they also make us feel uncomfortable yeah. in our observing yeah. of them. That's exactly what I wanted. It's like Lily Gorn theorizing <laughs> like pop culture depictions Love. of ethical <laughs> questions about different eras is great. Stay tuned for Midwest uh, 2023. <laughs> <laughs> so we have another movie shout out here. We have Tron, which is the Stan flexing that he has access to these pirated videos uh, from his boy Gene um, in the office. Danielle, how are we feeling about Gene? Are we still Gene is a spy. (laughs) Every episode we get a Gene mention. It's like they're seeding it. Like Gene. Also, of course, Stan wouldn't know that Gene was a spy, right? Like he's pretending that Zinjeda is a spy who is a spy. Like, oh my god. Also, I just want. This is a running, like a running theory I have that Gene is like Gene's a double agent. Um, <laughs> but I also just want to point out that Stan, like getting the approval of a twelve-year-old who's not your kid, shouldn't make you feel as cool as it does. <laughs> Also, Stan taking stuff from the evidence locker and bringing it home to his neighbor. Share with his KGB neighbors. It's fine. Now, of co- listen, that's like small potatoes. He's like running Zinjeda now. Like, No, I, I, I get that. Oh my you're, God. Like, you're, you're the button-down FBI dude. <laughs> Everyone knows, oh everyone in the show knows that Stan is bad at his job. <laughs> Philip and Elizabeth know it. Now Paige knows it. <laughs> Henry knows it too. <laughs> but Henry benefits from it. Yeah, Henry's got this hookup for. I've never seen Tron. I've never seen Tootsie either. Oh, I remember watching Tootsie. Like, it used to be on. Um, it was like one of those movies that was on Channel 11, which was like, a, you know, cable channel, WPIX. It must have been like a night that we had a babysitter that I was like up later than I normally was. And I remember not understanding it at all. Um, but I have had seen it multiple times as like too young of a kid. And then it's actually my my friend Marcus, one of my best friends from grad school. It's like one of his favorite movies. And so I watched it like a couple of years ago and was like... 
okay, like this is actually like way ahead of its time. And also like maybe not super well done. Um, but yeah, anyway. But to Lily's point, like Academy Awards celebrated film. And yeah. we all know how much that, you know, is cachet when you're <laughs> a movie like Green Book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the relevant comparison yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, you can almost picture Henry doing vocal blackface. In oh Green my Book. God. Um, wow. That's, that's really big picture core. For I know. Danielle. I was just, I was like, wow, we've got a green book reference like on this pod and it wasn't John or I quoting Sean fantasy or Amanda from the big picture. <laughs> Amazing. Some no Tron that I've watched, no Tootsie that I've watched. I have listened to the occasional Adam and the ants in my day. So we get stand and deliver playing over the party that Kimmy is at. I have any response to Adam and the ants from either of my co-hosts? No, it didn't. It didn't make as much of an impact as Yaz did. <laughs> oh, Yaz is like the best. Maybe is like one of the maybe three best musical moments of uh, of the Americans. Yeah, I sure. loved the chain when that came on. That felt mm-hmm. like a good musical cue. I'm just happy, one. Lily, that you're on this episode and can like tell John how much you love Yaz because that and Adam and the Ants both went way over my head. Not Harry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. okay. <laughs> All right. Soap operas, Paige's home, yes. watch, watching what the Americans fandom wiki suggests is of like an early general hospital. Oh, interesting. That felt like very like sick day vibes yeah. for yeah. me. My my like mom didn't watch soap operas, but it was like that's what you would watch if you were like it was like Price is Right and then soap operas all day. Price is Right, that was the classic sick day show in my yeah. mind. And then like whatever was on Nickelodeon, that was sick. Yeah, day yeah see, I, I didn't uh, have Nickelodeon when I had sick days, so I watched fair. things like Love American Style. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, were you ever a soap opera person? Not really. Um, I mean, I knew all about the hubbub around General Hospital because I was in high school at the time and the the, um, Luke and Laura stuff. Luke and Laura? Yeah. The Luke and Laura stuff was huge among um, my compatriots. Um, So they would fill (laughs) me in on like what was going on. But I, Mm. I, I did. It was too slow moving. Soap operas are really slow moving. Like, they're they're also dumb. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm and like I am all for dumb forms of consumption, but I don't want it to be like pretend drama. I want it to feel real. And there's something about everyone having a twin on a soap opera yeah. that feels like not real. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Lovely. John, you wanted Let's to do, do some, some fit checks. checks? Of course. We have, like, heavy men's sweaters going on in this episode. Like, we've got baggy sweaters. We have, like, intricate knitting patterns. We have questionable decisions being made about collars. Like, we've got really boring, bad color choices. We have it all in menswear in this episode of The Americans. I honestly don't even think I We have Oleg's terrible fucking suit like Oleg generally I think looks great but his suit in this episode is I think the ugliest suit that anybody ever wears in an Americans episode 
<laughs> I do just want to say that, like, I appreciate you calling this stuff out because I think I was just so taken aback by the, like, Zineda reveal and Paige stuff that I, like, don't even have any recollection of anybody wearing anything in this episode. <laughs> you remember when uh, the right got big mad that Obama wore a tan suit? Yes, of course I do. The boys on um, Pod Save America still talk about it. <laughs> Oleg has, like, uh, more beige than tan, but yeah. the ugliest possible version of that that You're anyone big has ever seen. <laughs> I am. But, but I doesn't, am. I think Adderholtz also has a, like, light-colored suit. And again, like, he stands out against all the other white mm-hmm. people who have dark yeah. suits on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I feel so like that works. In general, I feel like Adderholtz fits usually work pretty well. In the grand scheme of like all the FBI guys look terrible, he literally lo- he looks less terrible. He looks a little snappy. What? FBI needs to like have a tailor like come do some consultations <laughs> in the office. First, they need to get better at their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, potato, different priorities. Um, so on. Paige's blouse, and I think, Willie, you mentioned Paige's blouse earlier, but the blouse she's wearing for this confrontation, like the cut of it, the pattern of it, just like incredible, right? In contrast to like bad men's sweaters, Paige's blouse is like one of her better outfits, I feel like. In Although suit. I think her outfit the next morning is, the two mornings later, is better. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and her hair is very, very interestingly 80s, sort of turned around. Um, on mm-hmm. the sides when they have the confrontation. I mean, she uh, she also matches she matches the room and she matches her bedroom um, in yes. the outfit that yeah. she's wearing for Great. the confrontation. Great, wonderful. All right, uh, we have these football games. I did not play either of these, like this handheld situation or Stratomatic that uh, Stan no. loved, because you feel just like the coach uh, when you're playing Stratomatic. There are real stats and stuff. Struck I mean, me is extremely eighties. It feels like good that we're doing this, that we're recording this right after the Super Bowl. It feels like right. But I also, like, we didn't have video games in my house. This is, like, a little bit, this would have been, like, a little bit too old for us to have. But, like, we didn't have video games. We definitely didn't have, like, handheld weird sports games. The, like, only handheld thing that I had was Tetris. And, like, this Dr. Mario pill game, where which was basically like Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. I think that's in everything we have for the 80s this week. Yeah. Minor character of the week. Lily, would you like to introduce our minor character of the week? Well, the minor character of the week is the hotelier um, <laughs> who uh, Elizabeth is going to have to set a honey trap for, or is setting a honey yeah. trap for. <laughs> Um, and, and Neil and, and again, um, he's, he's going to show up in in a couple more episodes. So I'm not going to say a lot more than that. Um, but this is also in response to the fact that Elizabeth had gotten really frustrated and, and really sort of morally undone by having to be a honey trap. Um, and, and so Philip is trying to save her from that in the hopes that the hotelier will be a female. Um, but Mm. Elizabeth doesn't seem all that frustrated with Neil. So Neil, I think that's a minor character. 
played by um, Bill Heck, who plays the heck out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. (laughs) I should have seen that coming, but I'm really glad that I didn't. It was honestly off the cuff. I didn't even think about it. Oh, my God. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) But I, I, the thing that I was thinking about, Lily, like sort of in response to like the way that Elizabeth has been undone in the past about this and Philip trying to like assuage that and all of that is I wonder if also there's like some sense of relief because like there is all that weird like sexual tension with Hans that like this is this is a place where sexual tension like has to exist like that's the point of it whereas with Hans it's like oh god like please stop wanting to sleep with me (laughs) you know and also like I like you know I'm sure Elizabeth like appreciates the attention but I wonder if there's some like in the shift that's part of why maybe she's like not as put off by it as Philip expects her to be yeah I mean or she's just good at her job (laughs) John you two have smart thoughts about Neil. I'm going <laughs> to offer two not smart thoughts about Neil. Number one is that Bill Heck, like, really wanted to work on accents. He goes through, like, I think at least three different distinct regional American accents in the course of two minutes acting against Carrie Russell is Amazing. point number one. Point number two, the wink that he gives at oh the my end God. is just absolutely amazing it is so cringe and so beautiful yeah i mean and again he's not bad looking and he's not the age no, of, and, and not. not the age of her yeah. daughter so great great <laughs> the win we'll take it minor character of the week we're excited to see him again in the next couple of episodes all right so let's go to the cave I'm going to introduce the cave segment and I'm backing away because I have Danielle leading us into the cave and we have someone who has more expertise than probably Danielle and I combined about our figure in the cave this week. Uh, Danielle, we decided to go with somebody who's going to help us think about suspicion and there's only one choice. It's Leo Strauss, someone who I hate, but you know, (laughs) it is what it is. I hate Strauss. I hate Straussians. Like that's just like where I'm at. Um, but when John and I were sort of like brainstorming, okay, like what could, what could we talk about? And, and my instinct was to talk about suspicion, to kind of like pick up on page, pick up on, on sort of the stuff with Martha, pick up on Zinjeda, like all of that. Um, we decided to go with Strauss because who better to like help us think about suspicion, but perhaps the most suspicious reader of them all of all time. <laughs> so the, the piece of Strauss that we're sort of interested in playing around with is this idea in a, in a text that he wrote persecution and the art of writing that, and like, I'm just going to give like an off the cuff gloss of this. And so if either of you want to challenge or push back on it, please feel free. I got nothing. <laughs> but I think this idea that Strauss has, and I think this, this, this weaves its way into a lot of his writing. Um, not just the persecution piece is that there is this, like there's this ability of text to have this like a higher truth or hidden truth that needs to be unlocked. And so in persecution, he's talking about how sometimes the like, you know, the face value thing that the text tells you is actually like 
the opposite of, you know, what its real meaning is because the real meaning has to be hidden within careful footnotes and careful packaging because otherwise like the wrong people could think that you were maybe thinking about this other, other thing that like you shouldn't be thinking about. And it's like, I literally hate you and please stop <laughs> saying things like that. But like, so it's like, that is, I think persecution is like the most interesting place where, where he writes about this. I think the, the less interesting version of this is so, so that if an author is like writing something under a kind of like while being persecuted or, or like under some kind of distress and like needs to prove to the powers that be that he like supports the dominant I, like discourse, blah, 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 blah. So he hides the meaning inside of it. That's like an interesting spy adjacent way to think about this. The less interesting version, which I do just want to call out is like that there is a deeper truth that only the smart ones can can get to that needs to be unlocked in the t- from within the text and like that's an incredibly elitist way to read and like this idea that there is like a truth with a capital T is something that feels like incredibly alienating and really frustrating and when i have conversations with people who this is how they exist in the world and they don't even realize that that's how they exist in the world <laughs> it makes me want to flip a table <laughs> now it's become my that therapy was, session <laughs> that was beautiful danielle because like the disdain was brought into its fullest extent and you nonetheless offered us some strauss like true like academic political theorist brilliance there <laughs> lily how does strauss help us think about this episode or about the american i mean I, I i think that danielle's presentation on sort of the the esoteric meaning of a text yeah. which is is you know this this sort of Straussian way of reading um and sort of an argument for a particular interrogation of text um is I think what we are in fact seeing a lot of you know yeah. what is what is the text of my life might page ask am oh, I an right. alien um, and, uh or you know in Martha's case, she sort of sorts out that you know um Clark is not exactly who he says he is. So again, she's interrogating what is my life? Um, and is it exactly what I thought it was? And this person I'm married to who I can never, who never spends the night with me. Um, still weird. I can't. <laughs> so weird. Very weird. <laughs> um, and, and so you do have, whenever you have double agents, right? You have this kind of like, what is the surface? story yeah um and what is the the underneath story um or the esoteric reading um so i think as as a choice i think it's not a bad political theory to sort of put on this particular section of the americans not just this episode but you know sort of these these uh wrestling with these kind of double agent components yeah i think i think it kind of raises the question if i may danielle Mm -hmm. of like who is the Strauss of the Americans or the Strausses of the Americans, right? Like, is it Gabriel? Is it the center? Is it, you know, Elizabeth? Is it Philip? Is it none of the above? Is it, is it Joel and Joe? Like, you know, who because like plays the role of the uh, interpreter revealer of the esoteric meanings? Yeah. 
I mean, that is a good question. And I think it's <laughs> at different points, all of them. The thing that I was, that, the other like piece that maybe th- to, and maybe this is just like, I'm reaching a little bit for this link, but I think it maybe works too, is that, so Strauss is, you know, he is a refugee from Germany um, and comes to the United States and then like sort of sets up, he he ends up at Chicago and then there are all of these people who are trained by by Strauss and both Lily and I were trained by people who were trained by Strauss right so like both of us have like pieces of this in our own education but the thing that I think is really interesting about Strauss not Straussians and neither Lily nor I is a Straussian so I just want to put that out there um you didn't get that (laughs) but the thing that I think is incredibly interesting about Strauss is that this method of reading actually has a tremendous amount of similarities to the kind of like biblical study that was common Mm -hmm. to religious Jews. And that is still common to, to religious Jews. This idea that a text contains multiple layers, multiple meanings, this idea that like it's the enlightened who can unlock uh, the like true meaning of a text does really resonate with the way religious Jews and and I'm and I, I suspect that that extends to other like religious people who are engaging in their sacred texts. But there's like a, a link to that sort of enlightenment and like enlightened in the sort of like in the word of God seems really perfect for an episode where Paige is calling her pastor in order to like check in. Like there's that piece of it too. Yeah, I mean, I I do think that the the whole sort of line that that runs through so much of the Americans with regard to Paige's coming to the church, and then mm-hmm. her engagement with the church, and and her close reading of the text themselves, and yeah. and and her like extreme sticky noting of the Bible, which yeah. we saw in the previous episode, yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you have you have that sort of woven in to. Yeah. To her, you know, she is being enlightened. She was baptized. She is engaging with the text. She's engaging with the the concepts. Um, right. And and the the sort of enlightenment that she's finding is also making her think about the duality of her life that doesn't make any sense to her. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so that's you know that's sort of where she's coming to try to read what her life is, and ask her parents like, uh, what's going on here. Um, and her parents know the duality so that they, they, they are, you know, in on, in on the esoteric reading because Mm -hmm. they are the ones who Mm -hmm. created it, if if you will. Um, but I do think that, you know, Paige's trajectory in terms of coming to understand how to think about things. And that's why I think Philip's comment to Stan while it's kind of a throwaway comment at the end <laughs> is, is also somewhat valuable in this context in that she actually yes. has been thinking about things more yeah. deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, just to like, to put an, a little bit more of an emphasis on it, that idea that John, you asked who is Strauss, but I think like kind of going off of what Lily said, Philip and Elizabeth are the ones like wrapping the text in other like materials and text. They're the ones planting the bugs. They're the ones dropping off the messages, right? Beautiful. Like they're the ones, they're the ones sort of like 
hiding the truth from the world. Go figure that Strauss could be one of the best cave segments uh. ever. Um, I mean, I'm just like, you two are saying really brilliant things. I'm just over here, like, consulting my numerology charts about, like, minute 27, 12 yeah. on episode 10 and, like, figuring out what's oh my Where God. does episode I can't. fit actually in the entire series? <laughs> I mean, that's what we have to go back and look at, so... Yeah, so it's it's thirty six episodes. Yeah, thirty sixth episode. Double high. Yeah, I was going to say eighteen <laughs> is usually an important number. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, a Straussian reading of the Americans, like in this way, feels amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Willie, we are next book. Okay. <laughs> um. Nonetheless, Strauss gets left down in the cave because yeah, yeah, yeah. have to deal He's, with him above ground. This dude is chained up. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So time for our last segment. Lily, we didn't have this mini segment the last time you were here. So we want to invite you to join us in theory shipping. And if you would like, and my theory ship is that this doesn't surprise anybody, least of all Danielle, no. but I'm going to assign someone some Foucault. Yes. Uh, I would like to theory ship together Pastor Tim getting a bit of an education from our friend Michelle in the Collège de France lectures, like security, territory, population, birth of biopolitics on the pastoral. Mm. Like, in his, well, I'm not a parent, but like, I have a flock. I wanted to, I wanted to jump <laughs> to my computer to kill him. At <laughs> the beginning of the episode and like, the camera, I'd side note the camera on like right in Philip's face is just beautiful, wonderful, wonderful moment in that, in that time. But like, if Pastor Tim wants to think of himself as being the like pastoral shepherd of the flock, he needs to learn a little more about the depths of how power operates in the various historical junctures. So we're going to give him some Foucault. That's my theory ship for this week. Danielle, Willie, would either of you like to add a theory ship? Um, I was I was trying to think a little bit about um, sort of familial hierarchies mm. and and um, generational positions, and you know I, I'll always turn to my pal Shakespeare um, on I love it on some of this stuff, and you know when you start thinking about you know handing down the the crown from parent to yes. child yes. Um, and and the treachery that comes with that. Um, and you start thinking about Henry the Fourth and Henry the Fifth um, and Prince <laughs> yeah. Hal and Paige, um, she might want to brush up on her Shakespeare. Listen. Also, maybe Stan should give this Henry some action, <laughs> some Shakespeare instead of pirated Tron copies from the evidence locker. I love that. I also love that Lily is like, I feel like we're like comrades in arms. Like I'm always giving people tragedy to read. So I feel like the Shakespeare feels very much of that vibe. I, I love that for, I love that for this. I do too. Like I'm always giving people Foucault. You, you, both of you, always giving people more out of the box, like thoughtful, generative (laughs) suggestions. Listen, I'm just like here, hit yourself over the head with some explanations. Recognizing that people need to read Foucault is itself a skill. I think this is a, like when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail moment. I oh. mean, and, and Pastor Tim, your hammer, I don't feel bad. Yeah, and Pastor Tim always needs enlightenment. So, yeah, <laughs> bit thing. Oh, Pastor Tim makes the church look really bad. Yeah, that's something we can all agree on. 
<laughs> oh my god, I, have we come to the end of the episode? I think so. I like honestly can't believe it. It flew by. Um, Lily, do you have anything you want to plug? Is there any like any stuff you want to tell people in the world about? Um, well, I edited this book with a guy named Nick Carnes at Duke, and the book is The Politics <laughs> of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it came yeah. out in November from the University yep. Press of Kansas, and when Daniel Hanley has a chapter on it on um, assembled families, um, yeah. and it is available from the University Press of Kansas website or any place else you would like to buy a book, um, and it has been a hit, so go get yourself some Politics of the MCU. Yeah, I love that plug. <laughs> Full agree. Uh, eagle-eared listeners of the podcast will uh, know the name that Lily mentioned. Nick was an ep- Nick was a guest on one of our Moon Knight episodes. So yeah, I would say definitely get it. It was like one of the best experiences being a part of it. So and volume and two is on the way. <laughs> volume two. <laughs> Like breaking news on not quite great books, a TV podcast. Yeah, I love it so much. Amazing! Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it this is has been like my pleasure. So fun. My pleasure to talk <laughs> to the two of you about really. the Americans anytime, any day. <laughs> I have so you much also fun. have this like exquisite taste in choosing Americans <laughs> episodes. We must, we must say. <laughs> Oh my god! Hopefully, you'll be back in season four. I would love to come back in season four. I have to make my choice, though. Great, Great. (laughs) amazing. All right. Well, Willie, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, as always, to producer Amy. And up next in the feed, we'll drop in two weeks. American season three, episode eleven. One day in the life of Anton Baklanov. Oh, the titles are really just getting longer and longer. Love a Solzhenitsyn reference (laughs) in the morning. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on yet another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It's created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.